Hello and welcome to episode 4 in the new Masters of the World series looking back on the history of the BDO World Masters. This time I'm delighted to be joined by the Tornado Tony West who reached the final of the event in 2002 before winning it in 2003 defeating Raymond Van Barneveld 7-6. I'm delighted to be joined by the Tornado Tony West. How are you Tony? Yeah I'm doing great mate. Okay. And yourself? Yeah not bad and I suppose it's different in the Netherlands, but how have the, the last few months been for you? It's not so bad here at the moment. We haven't got it um, on total lockdown like uh, like in the UK at the moment, but it's heading that way. Overall, at the moment, it's kind of, uh, yeah, you're still free to go to the supermarket without a mask and things like that. When was it that you first started playing darts? Oh, well, I always played as a kid, you know. Um, my mum always played for a dart team, bless her. Um, and I sort of grew up with it, uh, yeah, watching it on TV with the likes of uh, Bristow and John Lowe and Jockey Wilson that on the late side, you know. Mm. And I always had a dartboard in the house, as far as I can remember, uh, from a kid just throwing on it, not really taking it serious. So I've been into it really all, all my life, really. My mm. mum always played for a darts team. Uh, my dad not, but on my mum's side she did, and her brothers and that. It's kind of been there forever, like... Yeah. <laughs> Um, but when I actually started getting into it, I think was uh, around 1997, 98, mm. something like that. Uh, and the reason I got into it, I, I, I always threw in my bedroom, just with my friends and that, you know. I had a dartboard in my room, and my mates would come around, we'd just play. But in May of 1995, I was stabbed three times in the back, and... Um, it was after that that I thought, oh, you know, I want to get out of all this mess. And uh, it was my brother Steve who uh, played in a dart team, dart pub, local dart team. And he kept asking me, yeah, come and play for us, come and play for us. And I thought, no, no, you know, I don't really want to play properly, serious or anything. And um, But yeah, in the end, I thought, yeah, go on then, I'll give it a try. And uh, yeah, I started winning everything in the local leagues, local area. And... Uh, yeah, I can remember the first tournament I ever won was a place called Harlow, Harlow Open, mm. and uh, I remember beating a few good players on the way that I didn't even know at the time, and then beating uh, Al Hedmond in the final, which mm. is Dieter Hedmond's brother, and that, that was my first ever tournament, and I remember playing in that because my back leg was all shaking and everything, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with the nerves and that. Yeah, I didn't really drink at all then or anything, I was just drinking blackcurrant cordial, you know. That was basically it. So it was around 97, 98. And then after winning the World, uh, the uh, the Harlow Open, there was a few guys there. And one guy asked me if I wanted to play County for Essex. And then he told me all about it. Um, he told me about all the travelling in uh, Colchester and all that. There's a lot of travelling. And then another guy come to me and asked me if I wanted to play for Hertfordshire. And that was much easier travelling for me. Uh, even though I lived in Essex, it was easier to travel. And after looking at all the, the, the areas that you play, I thought, yeah, I'll go play with uh, Hertfordshire, which was uh, Dennis Ovens, Alex Roy, uh, Mark Walsh, all these sort of guys. So I began playing Super League for a team called Lee Valley, uh, Lee Valley Super League team. And I was winning quite a lot, winning uh, little tournaments here and there. And then we had uh, the qualifiers for the World Masters and the Lakeside and the British Gold Cup. And I remember qualifying three years in a row for all three of them. So I qualified for the Gold Cup, but I only ever made the quarterfinals twice. Um, that was around 98, 99, I think. 
Uh, the World Masters are qualified for each time. Uh, the Lakeside qualifiers are qualified for out uh, them three years uh, every year. So yeah, I was sort of. And then I was picked for county. I was one of the earliest to ever be picked for county after just playing a few months in Super League, and it sort of took off from there really. And I started winning little bits here and there and winning uh, the Hertfordshire Masters, um, qualifying for the qualifiers and doing well. Yeah, and basically I did that. And then one end qualifiers, I got to the final of the World Masters. And then the following year, I qualified all again, got through and then went on to win it against uh, Barney. Going back to, you mentioned you got stabbed three times. I mean, what, what, was, what was the incident? How did that happen? And lung and I kind of had an uh, out of body experience but I never really told people about that for a couple of years after it was a bit strange so I had to process it all myself really um, but yeah I was never uh, a good lad I was always uh, on the streets and uh, doing stupid things you know with stupid friends as you do <laughs> and um, so I was always fighting always in trouble and uh, oh yeah doing a lot of bad things basically and one guy he'd uh, already stabbed the guy that stabbed me had already stabbed one of my friends and um yeah so i ended up getting him back sort of thing and uh, one day i walked out in the street walking the dogs and he sort of come around the corner with uh yeah it was like 20 of his friends there was like 15 20 friends and so i was just like coming in let's let's go and uh but what happened i slipped on the floor slipped over the the uh the curb and slipped on the mud and as I tried to step up he started stabbing me in the back sort of thing so I managed to grab his hand throw him on the floor knock him out and then run up the road and uh, collapse around the corner and uh, the ambulance was delayed for so like 20 minutes or so and uh, that's when I was sitting on the wall and had this kind of out of body experience where I could uh, see myself above myself if you know what I mean (laughs) sounds strange when you tell people but yeah that's what it was and I was in hospital for four days or so with a punctured lung and all that and then after four days uh, just walked out of the hospital yeah I recovered pretty quick after that so you obviously Uh, knew the guy that did it to you did he get nicked afterwards or did you just sort of want no real part of that yeah, he got nicked. He was well known in the area for being a tough lad, you know, well crazy, he always uh, flashing the knives around. And because he stabbed my friend uh, with a Rambo knife in the belly, and his mate had uh, his spleen removed and he was on tablets and he couldn't handle it in the end. He committed suicide in the end. And um, so, yeah, it was, uh, I thought, yeah, I'm going to get you back, you know, and uh, I ain't having that, you ain't so tough. And uh, that's how it started. So then one day he burgled uh, an house of a friend of mine. And that's when I went back to him and I said, if you don't get that money and you don't pay back what you stole from the house, you're a dead man sort of thing. Mm. Give him some threatening warnings. And uh, he, was, he knew what I was like because I was a bit of a tear away myself. Yeah, so what happened is I walked around the corner one night and there he was with 15 of his mates and he just pulled out a knife and uh, started flashing it around. So I started fighting him and I ended up slipping over on the floor and that's when he stabbed me in the back. Mm. So yeah, he was well known in the area. He'd already been to prison for putting a glass in someone's face and he always stabbed him in, like I said. So, pretty dangerous guy, like. So, when you you know, you know started playing darts more regularly, you mentioned your brother already. Was it a massive advantage yeah. having him who you know, was good at darts as well and was playing regularly? Did that help you in terms of practice and stuff? Yeah, well, uh, he kept asking me to play for his local team and I was like, no, 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 I can't be bothered. I'm not into that because I was more into my friends and doing stupid things, you know. <laughs> But eventually I just sort of had enough and I thought, yeah, why not? Just give it a go. Yeah, me and his brother used to always practice together. And 
we never practiced for nothing. Whether we played golf, snooker, darts, we always played for money. So it, we always had that competitive edge against each other, you know. So yeah, basically that's uh, how it was, and yeah, we started playing around, uh, traveling together, and things like that. And that first big run for you came at the, the 2002 World Masters. You know, you won five games to make the semis. You, you know, you beat a 13-year-old David Evans in the last 16. And then, you know, you yeah. got to the final for play Mark Dudbridge. Were you surprised you did so well or, or were you really confident when you were playing at the time? To be honest, I was quite confident. Um, I knew what I could do. Um, when I was watching the TV and that and just playing in my bedroom, I'd watch the TV. I would play against video games, uh, video recordings. Mm. I would put on, like, Martin Adams against Chris Mason, the game, because that was an awesome mm. game. That uh, stuck in my mind as a youngster, and I would pl- put these games on, record them, put them on, and then one time I'd be Chris Mason and have to beat Adams, and the other time I'd be Adams and have to beat Chris Mason's score. So mm-hmm. if they threw, then I would throw. I could, oh, and I was beating them, outscoring them, and winning their matches in, in in my bedroom playing the videos. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. And yeah, so I was always confident. And the way I practiced was when I was in my bedroom, I always imagined that I was up on the podium, up on the stage, you know, and. Um, that's how I practice. So I'd warm up for about an hour, and then I would sort of tell, tell myself, right, come on, now 15 darts or 15 darts or less to win the leg. And then I would imagine that I was walking up on the stage and uh, in front of a big crowd and calling out my name, you know, like Tony West versus uh, whatever. And it would give me the shakes. And so that's why I become kind of fast. I, I sort of would sort of speed up then without realising it because I would get the shakes and I could see my dart shaking, and I didn't like that. And so that sort of got me going fast. And then I realised, yeah, I was pretty good. And plus, because I beat all these top players as well, uh, playing all these um, holiday camp uh, tournaments and that. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty confident. I thought, yeah, what they can do, what I see on the TV, I can do that, and if not better. So when I actually got to the stage at the windmill, because I was beating everyone on the floor, no problem. 12 darters, 11 darters. And when I got to the final stages of the Masters, and it was my first time up on the TV, and it was it, I just felt like this is where I belong, because mm. uh, it's just the way I practiced all the time. You know, in my head, I always told myself that, yeah, you're coming up on the stage against so-and-so, a big name. And like I say, I would get the shakes. And so when I was up on the stage in the Masters, and I was get, got the shakes, I imagined I was in my bedroom. And it brought my uh, confidence up. It brought my, uh, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So if I was in my bedroom, I'd imagine I was up on the stage. So I'd get the shakes, get that sort of feeling of pressure. And when, yeah, when I was up on the stage playing, I would imagine that I was in my bedroom to sort of bring down mm. the pressure, bring down the nerves. And that's how I did it. That's how it worked. And like, so I got to the final. And I know exactly why I lost it against my Dubbridge because I was by far the better player on that day throughout the weekend with averages and everything. And what happened was, uh, I was two sets to nil in front, and uh, I was one leg up, and I thought, well, all I need to do is hit double eight, and I'm three nil in front. And I was on double eight, and, I, and without even thinking it, it just I just thought about it naturally. I just thought, wow, I'm World Master here. I'm going to win the World Masters. And because and I thought about it, it uh, I missed three darts at double eight. And that's when Dubbridge went, got one leg. And because after that, I kept thinking about it. Oh, you stupid idiot. Why mm. did you why did you think that? And it took me a good couple of legs, if not sets, because it's only best of three, to sort of get back into it. Thinking, oh, man, I'm going to blow this now. And 
and it was all goes going through my mind at that time when Dubbridge was just cruising along, you know. Mm. And by then it was too late. And so after losing, I sort of kicked myself up the arse and thought, oh, you idiot, that's how you lost it. It made me even better through the year because I went on from there to go and win uh, little tournaments, local tournaments, like, uh, well, not local, top 16 players. Um, What's it, like the Portland Open, as always in Scotland, Inverness, uh, Granite City. I was winning all these tournaments against top players, beating Adams and all them. Um, And when I got to the World Masters the next year, yeah, I think I beat three world champions like John Walton, uh, Ted Anke, yeah. and Barney in the final. But the thing that kept me going was just don't think, just keep going, son, keep going, yeah. keep going, you know? And uh, I didn't let it bother me. Of the, like what I say, you know, like the year before, it taught me a big lesson because I missed them three darts. But I was thinking to myself, oh, you're world masters here. You're gonna, I, I fought way too ahead uh, too quickly. Um, and that was just a lack of experience, really. It's not over until the fat lady sings, as I say, you know. Mm. So that's, that's what kept me going, even against Barney. I just thought, come on, you can do this, you can beat this. And it just kept me going, no matter what he hit, I hit back at him and just thought, yeah, I'm good enough and uh, just keep focused. And that's what I did, just kept me focused on and made sure that I hit what I was going for rather than thinking oh, I to hit it, you know what I mean? Mm. So. Looking ahead to 2003, you mentioned you beat the three former world champions. The, one of the games I want to look at, that, two, that, that semi-final with Ted Hankey, very tight game. Yeah. He took out a big checkout to go 5-4 up and then gave a massive celebration. Did that irritate you that he was seemingly celebrating the win before he got there? Kind of, yeah, because I'd, uh, I'd always seen Ted on TV and, uh, and um, backstage here and saying, yeah, I'll slow him down and do this and do that. But the thing was, just before I played Ted, I was at the bar getting a drink uh, for, for me and some friends, and uh, I had the tray of drinks in my hand, and as I turned around, some guys knocked the tray, and all beer went all down my, wi- uh, down my white shirt, and it was soaking wet, and I only had like 10, 15 minutes before I had to play uh, Ted. I was there in the toilet with the the air dryer in the toilet and the hand dryer, and I'm putting my shirt over it, trying to dry off. And <clears throat> so I was thinking, oh shit, you know, it was, it was cold, it was sticking to me, all my shirt. And so when I went up on the podium, up on the stage, it took me a while. I was thinking, oh god, this shirt's sticking to me. I feel uncomfortable and all that. And that, that's why I couldn't concentrate fully in the beginning. But then we had that we had the break. And that break done me good because my manager, she come out to me and said, Tony, what the hell are you doing? And I said, look, just go away, leave me alone. And I got into the practice ball, bang, 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 and just got my level back up rather than thinking about my wet shirt and it all sticking. And so it's kind of crazy, really. And so when Ted sort of also gives it all that, come on, and I love that because that makes me more determined to think, yeah, come on in, let's <laughs> have it, game on. Yeah, and so yeah, and like Ted, he had a free dart for the match. I think it was also at double eight, and he blocked it with his first, blocked it with his second, and then he walks up, looks, then he walks up the other way and looks, then he walks the other side and looks. I think he went over to get a drink, and then he come back, and all that time I'm thinking, well, you ain't gonna need it now. You're overthinking it. Yeah. You're real overthinking it, and it worked. He come back and he he just missed it. So, and I thought that's it. It's game over for you, pal. And I went pop pop out. I saw he sort of made a disadvantage for himself when he had the chance to take it if he'd have just stayed that focused rather than doing the entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I knew straight away because he'd had it covered and I thought once he's walked off, he's lost all rhythm, he's lost all uh, focus on that. He's got to refocus and do it again. 
and because it was blocked, it was difficult anyway. And yeah, like he went and missed it, and and it was also a kick up the arse for me because I thought, wow, I could have lost that all because I was not focused because I had a cold shirt on and a wet shirt and all kinds of things going through my head. When doesn't matter what happens, you should learn to just stay focused on the job you got to do. Hmm. That sort of learned me that sort of lesson. In the final, you played Barney, who at the time was looking to complete a, a clean sweep. He'd won the, the world title at the start of the year. He'd, you know, he'd won the, the world right. trophy, yeah. and he was looking imperious in the world masters as well. Was you know the yeah. form he was on, what he was trying to achieve, was that daunting for you, or did it give you extra motivation to, to beat him? Extra motivation, extra motivation. Now Barney was brilliant all year. He had it was for the Grand Slam. If he got all four, he won what they called the Grand Slam then. And no one had ever done it. It was kind of new. Because of the form he was on uh, with the lakeside and everything. But what happened was, me and Raymond, we were practicing up in the practice room just before we went on the stage. And we were sort of throwing on the same board. And we was talking. And uh, I've gone up and I've gone 180. Raymond's behind me, he's thrown. I've gone up, I've gone 180. Raymond's behind, I've just gone one four, one out. And so I've hit the nine data, but I didn't act on it. I just sort of carried on talking as normal. And Raymond sort of looked at me as I'd say, you've just hit a nine data there. And uh, we come back, with talking. And I've gone round again. I've gone up, like, gone double ball, double ball, double ball. So bullseye, bullseye, bullseye. And still carried on talking. And Raymond's looking, thinking, bloody hell, what's he going on here? And then within two or three throws later, I've gone up again, 180, 180, one four, one out. So I've hit the two nine daughters. And that's when Raymond said, bloody hell, man. You know, what's going on here? And I was laughing, like, so I said to Raymond, do you want to split the prize guild then? Do you know? Because it was mm. 10000 and 3000 So I said to him, joking around, do you want to split the prize money? And he literally looked at me as if to say, yeah, okay, you know, I'll split it, sort of thing. <laughs> but he uh, he started to talk, and his manager, Ad, Ad, he turned around and said, no, 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 no splitting, no splitting. I said, all right, fair enough, I'll take the lot then. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, so it was kind of a joke backstage, and uh, and I see Raymond was sort of thinking, Jesus, man, you know, uh, and I sort of had him just through. I think just through with practicing on the same board, I think that already got him mentally uh, worried because he realised what I could actually do that he mm. hadn't seen before, and it was just a coincidence to hit two nine darters within three or four legs, you know. Yeah. So yeah, basically that was it. I asked him if he wanted a split. He said no, and it was only because his manager had come over and went, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's, I sort of thought, all right, you had your chance, all right, go away then. <laughs> and um, and that was it. So when I was out on the stage, I didn't look at him like a threat. I just thought I could beat him. I've seen what he could do on the TV. I've seen what he'd done all year on the darts. And I thought, well, I can do that. I can do that in my bedroom. I just have to take out on the stage, you know. And I still didn't never play to my, my best. And uh, it was only like a 92 average, I think, 92, mm. 93. I knew it could have been a lot better as well. Um but I knew Raymond's game was around that sort of, at that time, was around that average every time, 92, 93, 94. <clears throat> and I thought, yeah, there's no reason I can't beat him. And just kept me going, kept me motivated. And also, losing the year before to Dubbridge, there's no way I was going to let Barney just take it easy. And that's what kept me going, really, was look what the experience I gained from the year before. And plus, I think what Raymond, uh, seeing the nine daughters I hit, then sort of mm. made him think and it gave me that confidence. Well, I watched that final recently and it was an absolute, you know, grueler. You had, you know, there was nothing in it all the way through. When that winning double yeah. went in, what was that moment like for you? Kind of surreal, really. Uh, 
Yeah, it was just it was one dart double eight. I remember him having a dart for the match, and he missed one or two darts he had for the match. I think he had a shot of bullseye. He missed, and I thought, well, that's it. That's my chance now. Uh, just take it. And so I just sort of looked down at the ground quick, looked up, stared at the double, and just went bang. And it was the first dart straight in the middle. And my actual feeling was like, yes, relief, come on. Because there was a lot of pressure on that because it was up and down, up and down for for both of us. You know, it was, it's going to go either way. And it was just having that one little break. I think checking out the 137, uh, if I remember rightly, was it was his throw. And I remember going 60, treble 19, double 10. And that gave me then my throw. And I think I beat him two legs to nil in the last yeah. set, I'm not sure. When the winning double went in, it was just like all the pressure just blew off me. And it was kind of like, wow, I am World Masters now, you know. I'm, And it didn't really sink in, to be honest. It was just like surreal. Like, have I done this? Uh, is this a dream? It's kind of <laughs> uh, a strange moment. But yeah, it did feel good. It felt absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And afterwards, you, you know, you got interviewed. You made a specific point of praising the crowd and saying that they'd helped you kind of get over the line. How much of a difference did the crowd yeah, make for you? A big difference. Um, and the thing was, because the year before I was an underdog, uh, no one knew me at all. And I've come straight through to the final, lost the dub bridge. But because of that, um, and I would always go and sit in the crowd and talk to people just like a normal guy, you know. And uh, so I gained a lot of fans. Um, but what was surprising was when I got to the World Masters the following year, a lot of people were all for me. You know, they was all for me. So I was quite a shock at how many fans in the crowd were for me and not for Barney. And that sort of gave me that boost. It's like, wow, you know, uh, yeah, this is uh, where you want to be. This is what I practiced for. This is what I played for, for this. And I didn't want to let the crowd down. And every dart was, go on, Wesley, go on, down. And, you know, you can't. Yeah, you can't describe that feeling, uh, especially when it goes in at the right time for you. And they're like cheering. It's yeah, it's something you can't uh, explain until you've experienced it, you know. Mm. And that sort of, yeah, that, that motivates me big time. I love that. And I'm also for like being the underdog. I love to play people that are always like, come on and give it the big one. Like Ted Anke, he never beat me for years, uh, purely because I just laughed at him. I wasn't bothered by his antics or anything like that. Um, when he played his little tricks, I just stood back, waited, and then come back in and just went bang, 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 out, or hit a big shot. So they found it difficult to play me because not only they couldn't get into me mentally, it's hard to explain, they couldn't beat me. Same with Martin Adams, didn't beat me for years. We ended up being pairs, champ uh, pairs, uh, um, pairs partners for years. Um, we won the Granite City Open together. We won uh, Inverness Open, uh, the Portland Open, sorry, uh, back to back, uh, two years in a row. Um, but come to the singles, he just couldn't beat me after time. It was purely because I wouldn't take any of their. I, I just felt confident I was better, as good, if not better, than they was, and I was proving it on the circuit week in, week out as well. So. To win a big major, though, and to get the crowd on your side is something different. It's uh, amazing. And what did that moment mean to your family as well? Because, you know, only a few years before, you, you said yourself you were a bit of a tearaway getting into trouble, and there you were on the BBC yeah. beating the consensus, best player in you know the world at the time other than Phil Taylor. Yeah, it's kind of... Uh, well, I was always uh, a bad boy, so I was never... Um, uh, like a normal kid, I was always fighting, I was always selling drugs, doing drugs, uh, always walking around with a knife, uh, just a, a bad guy doing robberies, uh, that sort of thing. And so I'd never 
never was going to make my family proud, you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> and so it's like I say now, uh, getting stabbed was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And it's kind of strange to say that, but it's true. If that didn't happen, I probably wouldn't have sort of thought, oh, I've had enough of this shit, I want to get out of all this shit. And um, I probably wouldn't have started playing darts. So it was my brother who sort of said, come on, come and play, at least you keep out of this trouble and shit. And so I thought, yeah, okay. And so it's kind of changes the course of your life, you know. You go in one mm. way and all of a sudden you take up darts, you're good. But I didn't realise I would be that good to mm. sort of, uh, start winning major tournaments on the BDO circuit and things like that, you know, making the lakeside. So to actually win it, yeah, it changed me. I had to sort of grow up quick and stop with all the violence because I was always violent and fighting and, and had to stop with all that and try and be professional and be sensible, mm. as hard as that was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so for me... Yeah, now I can look back and my me, me family's proud of me. You know, like my dad and all that. Changed yeah. my life. I've lived in Holland now sort of 19 years, 18, 19 years. Yeah, I've kept out of trouble. I've got a nine-year-old son now. Yeah, it changed me. It changed me for the better. So, yeah, I think my me dad and that can look back and say he's proud of me and all that, you know. So what, what was it that prompted you to make the move over to the Netherlands? Basically because of all the shit that I was in in London in Essex. Uh, I was always... Uh, my friends are always bad people. Um, yeah, one of them's doing 12 years. Uh, one of them done 12 years for murder. The other one now is in jail for life for attempted murder. One one of my friends got caught with four million pounds of cannabis in a lorry in Dover. So he's done a few years. Uh, they're all, all, all nutcases, you know. Yeah, it was kind of weird. Uh, if I stayed there, I was never going to get out of it, you know. You're going to see the same faces. You've got, you've got nowhere to run or go or hide. And because of my reputation of uh, selling drugs and fighting, I suppose that's going to follow you wherever you go there. And what it was, I met a Dutch girl at the Welsh Open, I think. And then I met her again at Switzerland, Swiss Open. And it just sort of went from there. And then I was coming over every other week to Holland. And I thought, yeah, this is my chance to sort of move away and start afresh, you know, mm. rather than stay there and be dragged into all the shit every time. And so that was it. That's uh, how it started. Because before, but going back, uh, before I got stabbed, <laughs> I'd moved to Amsterdam for three months. I was going to try and live there forever. So I moved to Amsterdam with a friend of mine. We, we went straight over there, but we only lasted three months, run out of money and stuff like that. And it was when I went back, I think it was literally a month, couple of months after I went back, I got back into all the old stuff. And that's when I had that trouble and got stabbed. And that's when I thought, ah, you know, come back to this sort of shit. And I've had enough of it now. Yeah. So in my mind then, I'm thinking I just want to get away from this shit. But there was no possible way to get away, really, in my, in my eyes, you know, unless I left the country and started again. Mm. And I suppose just meeting uh, my girlfriend at the time, yeah, uh, being a Dutch girl, I suppose that was uh, just fate, I suppose, at the time. What was it about, you know, Holland, the Netherlands, that appealed to you? Probably the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably Amsterdam, I think. Uh, the drugs was more of the influence to want to come to Holland. Uh, but Holland is a great place. When I first came to Amsterdam, it was just awesome place. <laughs> and I always said, oh, this is where I want to come, this is where I want to live. Uh, completely different culture to England, and um, yeah, like I say, it just um, it just developed. Uh, meeting the girl and then coming out every other week, and thought, yeah, then I'll 
I'll make me move over here and start again. But when I come over here at the first, it was kind of lying. I didn't feel that I could start again because my girlfriend's dad, if he asked me what I did for a living, I always said, yeah, I was a painter and decorator and that, which I wasn't. Uh, but I couldn't exactly say to him, yeah, I was a criminal doing robberies and drug deals and selling drugs. You know, I couldn't say that. Yeah, so I felt like I was lying. But that's not what I wanted. I wanted to start again. And so I did an interview with um, Darts For You magazine. It was called Darts For You. I called them and said, look, can I do an interview? And in that interview, I was just honest, straight up front, because I played um, the World Darts Trophy. And as I was playing, I missed two nine darts. Well, I missed treble 19 two times uh, within a space of a few legs. So I had a 10 darter and a 12 darter thing. When I come off that stage, I think it was Daryl Fitton. He said to me, hey, he said, you want to watch out? He said, the, the fat man, Fitzmaurice, is talking about you being on drugs. And I said, oh, here we go. So I went up to Fitzmaurice. I said, what you, you want to, you know, you want to keep your mouth shut? I said, I ain't been on drugs for a long time. I said, and yeah, I did do drugs. I did sell drugs, but this is my new career. And I don't need it being killed before you, before I've even started. Um, so that's when I thought, right, the best thing to do is to call the magazine and tell the truth, get it out there, and then no one could use it against me. They couldn't bring up my past about dealing and all stuff like that, so that's what I did. I put in the magazine and told the truth that I was just doing robberies, drugs, or fighting, stabbing people, all sorts of stupid things. And uh, and I got a lot of praise for that, just to say, oh, yeah, at least you come out and told the truth, you know? And uh, not a lot of people would have done that. But that was important to me if I wanted to start afresh. Uh, so I had to tell my girlfriend's dad at the time, sorry, but, you know, I didn't want to lie. I don't want to lie, uh, but I'm a changed man now sort of thing. And going to keep trying to change, and that's what I did. 2004, I know you'd got to the final round of the Lakeside Qualifiers a couple of times. So what did it mean to you, 2004, when you walked out on that Lakeside stage for your first round game at the World Championships? That was awesome, mate. Uh, very nerve-wracking, purely because it's your first time and the lakeside is what you grew up watching, you know, the likes of uh, uh, Bristow and Jockey and all that. And um, to actually walk out on that stage, you can't explain that experience. It's phenomenal because you're now there inside the TV, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> you are now part of that and you're like, well, you know, this is uh, surreal. Um, so it's nerve-wracking. But yeah, at the same time, unbelievable especially to qualify through my own ranking and traveling the circuit to qualify through the rankings you know and and the trouble was the the pressure you feel at lakeside is not like any other pressure you would feel that's the strange thing you could go to the world masters or any other tournament but the lakeside has a weird kind of pressure because i think you work all year to be there and uh, plus you've seen it growing up as a kid thinking it's, you know, it's truly the number one tournament in the world, the World Championships, mm. where you, where everyone strives to be and wants to be. So to actually be there, you work so hard and tell yourself, right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And when you actually get out on that podium, it, it's just, it all seems to just disappear. It's so weird. It's very, uh, so like I say, I've played it, I think, six times at Lakeside. <laughs> I come back after a break because uh, I was having trouble with my elbow and all stuff like that. So I come back after a while. So I missed out three years, I think, yeah. uh, six, seven, and eight, or something like that. Yeah, to qualify again uh, was amazing. Later, two thousand and four, yeah. you entered the World Masters as as the defending champion. What was that like when you were sort of you'd gone from a couple of years earlier being you know a relative unknown to suddenly, yeah. in a sense, being the man to beat? 
I don't know, at the time it felt kind of like, yeah, this is where I belong, this is where I should be, because I knew what I threw in my bedroom by playing the videos on uh, in my bedroom, you know, against mm. players, like I say, Chris Mason against Adams and other games that I put on that was classics, you know, if you look at any classic game that was Lakeside, <clears throat> you know, like Mike Gregory against Phil Taylor final, um, these mm. sort of games I remember, so so much that I would record them and play against them because they was the best games that you want to, yeah, if you can win them games, you can win anything. Um, I didn't feel any pressure going up to play. I always felt that they had the pressure because they knew what I was like. They knew how good I was on the floor and on the circuit. And also, um, there's two players. It was Ted Ankey and Barney. And, and Raymond did a Dutch interview, the TV interview, and he said, uh, I'm not scared of any dart player. He said, I'm not scared of any dart player. He said, but there's one player that worries the hell out of me, and that's Tony West. And for him to say that was kind of shocking, mm. you know, to sort of admit that. So I already had that feeling, yeah, he's scared of me, you know, and rightly so. And the same, Ted Anke also did an interview, and he said, well, there's no player I'm scared of ever. He said, but to play Tony West is kind of frightening, he said. He said he's such a natural because I was so fast and so instantly instantly in the triples or the doubles what I was going for, <clears throat> especially on the circuit. You know, on, on the TV, I sort of let myself down a lot. But on the floor, uh, going through into like the Belgium Open, I won two times. Swiss Open, I was in the final. And the following year, I won it. Uh, the Welsh Masters, I won. Uh, plus winning the IDPA Masters, mm. that was it. Uh, that was all the top 16 players and that was and also you got to remember when I was playing the circuit I was sort of like in the top three of the world for like five years and this is when Wade was there uh, Barney was there Murph King was still there Gary Anderson was still there so yeah I was up there with the best of them so I think they had to worry more about me because I come along as a newcomer and they hadn't really seen what I could do until they started seeing it, and then I was winning this, winning that, getting into the finals of this, that they thought, bloody hell, you know, it come as a more of a surprise to them. Because for me, I already knew what I could do after seeing them all on TV and seeing them on the circuit. And so I'd already knew them, but they didn't know me. Yeah, I was never scared or under pressure to win. Uh, I used to just go up, play darts, and when I'd finished darts, win or lose, I was always a good loser. Well done, mate. Shook his hand and all that. Never, because uh, <laughs> um, that was it. That that job was done for the day. I just had to worry about the next job, which was my next game. Yeah. Which is a shame. I wish my brother was more like that, but he's the complete opposite. And that's why I get frustrated with. He could do just as good as I did, but he don't know how to control his emotions, which is what kills him after time. He sort of has the same experience in most of his games. He loses like I did. Uh, when I missed that double eight against Dubbridge, sort of that mental thing of, oh, shit, I've, mm. you know, I'm world master here, and then if you miss it, and then it all goes to pop. And that's kind of the sort of thing with Steve. If he would listen and he would learn he, he, yeah, he, and do what I tell him, he could have done a lot, lot more because mm. he's so good. But, yeah, he is what he is, and uh, that's what made me a champion. That's what made me win a lot because I didn't care. I just, a bit like Gary Anderson's attitude. Mm. I would uh, practice and um, go up, and if I won, I won, and if I didn't, I didn't. It was all on a day. And it was the words that from Dennis Ovens, uh, one night we was playing county darts, oh, and Dennis, I beat Dennis, and Dennis said to me, listen, Tone, he said, because uh, I was frustrated because I got to the quarterfinals twice in the Gold Cup, and I, I was frustrated because I said to him, every time I get to the podium, 
I would tell myself, God, win this game, win this game, and I'm on the stage, I'm on the podium. And every time I would blow it, and he'd give me some words. He said, Tony, listen, you was better than I ever was, he said. And he said, and if you just take each game as it comes, each leg as it comes, and just play your game, he said, you'll be up on that podium before you realise it. He said, and the words I remember him saying was, if it's your day, it's your day. No matter what you do, if it's your day, you're going to win, no matter what you mm. do. And it was them words that stuck in my head and that changed my whole uh, course of winning. Because then I would go to tournaments and I would be, say, 2-0 behind, best of five. And I would just think, right, win this leg, win this leg. And it wasn't even a leg. It was just like, come on, hit this start, hit this start, you know. And um, and it sort of went from there. Rather than thinking, win this match, I'll be on the podium, I would just think, right, win this leg, win this leg, win this leg. And sort of give me that fire and that fight in my belly to concentrate harder. It was them words that sort of stuck in the head. So it was Dennis Ovens. I have to thank for that to sort of snap out of it of what's going on. What am I doing wrong? Uh, why do I keep losing every time before I make the stage, you know? Mm. And that's what I tried to tell Steve as well, but he don't listen. Whereas you've got to take any advice from anyone who's got experience, whether it be darts or work or whatever you do, you always take experience on board and see if it helps you personally. And that's what I did. I listened to the best and listened to the, the worst. What You take away what you can from it that made them successful in the first place. In 2012, you went to, to Q-School in the PDC and you got a tour card the first day. What prompted you to make yeah. the switch? Because of all the trouble going on, the BDO, uh, they wasn't doing what they wasn't looking after the players anymore, and you could see it was all going downhill. And we was asking them, look, because we had to pay for our own hotel, we had to do all this, we work all year to get there. Um, and then what they did, they even changed the rules again, so you couldn't just have your manager and your girlfriend in, you could only have one or the other, which was insane. Your manager or sponsor wants to also be there, so he paid for it for you to get there all year. And you can't exactly turn around and go to your girlfriend, oh, sorry, I've got to take my manager in. So you had to disappoint one of them, and that was just way over the top. And the one thing as well, you'd walk into the VIP room, and there'd be all the Croft family, all of them, uh, all the young kids, they've all got passes, uh, all the families got passes, and you're thinking, wow, I can't even get my manager or sponsor in, or my girlfriend, but you've got all your family in. And we're the ones doing all the work. We're working all year. It's the sponsors paying us to get here. And they deserve the right to be there for their exposure, for their company and things like that. So it was kind of, that was the final straw for me. And um, I said, yeah, that's it. Uh, then I'm going to PDC. That's the way forward. And that's what I did. And I went to Q school. And on the very first day, I was the very first person on the very first day to qualify. And I didn't even have my darts. I'd lost one of my darts at Lakeside that year. So I used a set of Anastasias to play. Played Tony O'Shea, uh, lost obviously, but um, I, I went to Q school with these darts and uh, I was changing shafts throughout each game. So I'd play one game, win it, then I would change my shaft, put in a different flight to try and find a dart that worked for me. <coughs> and I was doing that all day, but I kept winning my games. And then I beat Keegan Brown in the final of the qualifiers, and that was it. Once I'd done that, I was the very first game, very first person on the very first day to get the Q, um, uh, Q card, mm. two card. Yeah. So I thought, wow, that's handy, considering I had to keep changing for short stems, long stems, square flights, pair flights, <laughs> <laughs> just changing them for each game to sort of try and find what was working. Yeah. And uh, yeah, still played well enough to qualify, so that's a bonus. <laughs> but then after that, it was no looking back, really. Did well and um, 
qualified for the UK Open, I think, two times. Done quarterfinals in the German Gold, German Darts Masters, beating uh, Justin Pipe and Terry Jenkins and Terry Temple, beating all them on the way. I think I lost on the quarterfinals to AD Lewis, 6 3. Mm. But I have, I've, I've quit now, darts, for the last three or four years. I had a, a collapse of a, a tear. It's kind of like a, mind, a mini stroke, you know? Mm. So I collapsed one time in the house and uh, yeah, I was on my own. And uh, yeah, I was sick and I smashed my head on the floor, so I was throwing up and that. Um, but I never called the ambulance or anything, just thought of, if I die, I'll die, sort of thing. And uh, But then I got up, I woke up, went to go to the toilet and collapsed again. Done the same thing, smashed my head on the floor, broke my finger. Um, and it was only that my friend was on the phone that, uh, at the time that uh, he called the police and the ambulance. And, but I've never been right since. I was going to tournaments after that. And every time I was concentrating, I was uh, throwing up, being sick. I'd play really well. And then all of a sudden I'd be sick and then get the shakes and feel uh, like I'm going to throw up. <clears throat> and that kept happening. Only ever it kept happening when I was going to dart. And we couldn't put a finger on it. And I've had the uh, MRI scans and everything, and they couldn't find the problem. But my head, as it's still, even to this day, feels like it's got a split in it with, like, a plastic strip in it. That's the kind of sensation I get. Mm. Um, but anyway, I was going to darts, and I would be playing well, and then I would think, oh, I'm going to be sick. I'd get the shakes, like, when you're hungry. And, um, and we couldn't work it out. And yet, after about 10, 15 times of doing that, I just thought, ah, oh, this is it, I've had enough. And the only one thing I was doing differently because it was always at darts it was happening, or if I was in a hot shower. But the only thing that was doing differently was concentrating. Hmm. So, yeah, when I concentrate so hard, I'd get this, yeah, this would happen to me. So, yeah, it was pointless. I stopped with my sponsors and all that. I said, look, it's pointless, costing me money. I did a few demos here. I did it with uh, O'Shea and Fitton. We had a demo here. Uh, well, we have three of them. I did the first demo, and after that, I couldn't do the next two. We went to the next one after that, and I was... Uh, just practicing and that's it I got the shakes felt sick I had to sit in the car I thought yeah this is going to cost me money and it looked like I was drunk uh, when I wasn't drunk it was just yeah just the illness yeah that's why I quit really I haven't been the same since but I don't really miss it now with all the travelling I'm getting too old anyway I couldn't be travelling every week week in week out uh, driving from the Netherlands to England Netherlands to Germany uh, even if we just do a drive here now from here to Groningen, a few hours, I'll feel fucked. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't really miss it. Hmm. I mean, just one of the last games for you that, you know, you obviously played before you stopped was the German Darts Championship in 2016. You qualified. First round, you get drawn yeah. against your brother and he whitewashes you and averages yeah. 110. Yeah, I love playing him because we'd sort of grown up together playing each other. If, even if we played tennis in the street, right, we had a tennis ball and the two rackets. We had no net or nothing. We'd just play in the street. We always had to play for something, whether it was even like, all right, if you lose, you make the tea when you get in. You make a cup of tea for me when you get in and things like that. It was always for something. And my mum worked on a golf course and me and Steve would go down there every day. It's only a par three. But we'd always play for money and just go round and round and round the course playing for money. Uh, if we went snooker, it was £10 a frame and £10 for the highest break at the end of the game. So, yeah, we always had that. So whenever I played Steve, I loved it because most of the time I'd beat him anyway. <laughs> it took Steve, uh, well, it took Steve 10 years before he even could beat me. 
he could be 2-0 in front and he would always lose 3-2 because we played for the same county and he couldn't understand why and it was because uh, he couldn't he couldn't deal with losing he can't handle the the fault of losing whereas I was different hmm. I suppose that's because I kicked his ass most of the time <laughs> in most things anyway <laughs> <laughs> so when we played um, he had a great game that night uh, 110 average so there's no fault in that I had a good game myself pretty good 96-97 average I think I thought, yeah, I thought I was playing well, but I didn't really get much of a shot because every leg he was throwing out before I could even get to a double. And with my legs, if I made one dark mistake, he punished it. Not really much I could do about that. So, Looking back on your career, what would you say is your biggest highlight? Yeah, I suppose it has to be with uh, winning the Masters, obviously. Saying that, again, it was... Uh, getting through for things like in the PDC to go to the PDC and get to the German Masters and get to the quarterfinals uh, and like I say I was playing Justin Pipe I was 5-0 behind and then I come back and win 6-5 to go through and then play Terry Jenkins and Terry Temple so them little things as well sort of it's not just winning the big ones for me that, that bothered me it was also winning games that uh, I wanted to win everything I played so it was some yeah the high the biggest highlight is winning the Masters obviously but then I've got other memories of just getting to the late side and uh, things like that and I suppose the highlight of my game is the Masters but it's not getting to the final the first time I think it was winning it to prove to everyone that it wasn't just a one off that I yeah. yeah and at the time the Masters was the hardest tournament in the world to win. Because um, you had to play, and this goes for everybody, everybody had to start at their county. So you had to play, like say our county, Hertfordshire, had maybe 150 players. We had to play like one night in one venue, down to two players that then qualified to go to Stoke-on-Trent. And then from Stoke-on-Trent, all the two qualifiers then went down to one qualifier from each and then went up to Bridlington or whatever and then you qualified again just to get to the podium to the stage finals and uh, to do that two years in a row was a real world master to me mm. but once they seeded it once they seeded it people like who were already in the top eight only come in at the last stage and that's when Martin Adams started winning it because Martin Adams never won it by coming through his county and through the qualifiers in Stoke on Trent and then going through the qualifiers at Bridlington and then getting to the stage final. He was automatically at the last eight, so he played three games and won the World Masters. I don't call that a World Masters, whereas me, I had to play all them games one night in Hertfordshire, so probably eight or nine games to get to the final. And then two players go, that was me and I think Alex Roy one year, me and Mark Walsh another year, and me and Dennis Ovens another year. So then you go to Stoke on Trent, and then you all them one, all them two players that qualified from each county, so it's getting harder now. Had to play again for the day, so that was like a whole new tournament again. So in in average, I think you're talking about eight or nine games at the Hertfordshire, and then you're talking about another five, six, seven games at Bridlington, then you're talking about another five or six games in uh, in Bridlington, sorry, Stoke on Trent, then in Bridlington. So you're talking about 20, 25 games that you play totally before you even get to the stage. And that, to me, being a best of three was a very difficult tournament. Uh, best of three legs, best of three sets, uh, or first of three sets. So, and that was going all the way through like that, from the floor all the way up to Bridlington. So from Hertfordshire, Stoke-on-Trent, Bridlington, and then to the final. 
to me, that was the hardest tournament in the world. And that was when people were real world masters. When they seeded it, it was no longer the same prestige, you know. It didn't, to me, that was like, wow, you know, they're coming in at the last eight, they play three games and then they win the Masters. That's not mm. a world master, not in my eyes. Mm. <clears throat> so I think for the world masters, the worst thing they ever did was seeding it. Because I think everyone had a chance, like me, to come from the floor and go and prove that they've got what it takes to get to the final. So, you know, for me to do that two times in a row was, uh, yeah, a bit different than to Martin Adams winning it three times. Well, I know I've, I've heard Bob Anderson say something similar, but just want to say, Tony, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you for being so, you know, frank and honest. I've really enjoyed looking back on your career and hopefully, uh, you know, feeling better health-wise now and enjoying, you know, your post-arts life. Yeah, it's different, but uh, it's not something I really miss now, especially with all the politics and darts and all the... And they're just way too good these day and age. They practice uh, fully, uh, and being sick, I know there's no way I could stick with that. I can still throw great darts, don't get me wrong, I still throw in the house sometimes, but that's normally when I'm just making a cup of coffee and the adverts are on. <laughs> um, but I, I don't spend uh, standing there for hours practicing because I don't get too dizzy, it's sick. But yeah, I don't really miss it. In fact, uh, when I think about darts, all I do think about is all that travelling, staying in the hotels, and I think, wow, I couldn't do that now, even if I wanted to. So that puts me off right away. Some some days you think, oh, I could I could do that. I wish I was there. I could be doing that for the money, if anything, uh, the pro tour. But then uh, then again, as soon as I think about all the travelling, I think, oh, bleh, no chance. I'd be totally dead before I even got to the venue. So. I've had a good career, I've got, uh, done well in it, and uh, I can look back and say, yeah, I'm proud of what I've done, and uh, and then when you look at the standard these days, yeah, you've got to be right on your game. They're throwing 100, 105 averages like it's nothing, whereas in my, in my peak, uh, when I was good, uh, which was the same for everyone, Barney, Anderson, King, we was all still throwing like 100 averages, 33 averages, um, here, there and everywhere, you know, not just one, not consistent. Yeah, times have changed, and uh, yeah, the standard these days is phenomenal. Some great players, uh, but yeah, I don't miss it. <laughs> well, thank you, Tony, very much. I really do appreciate it, mate. Yeah, you're welcome, Andrew. And uh, yeah, thanks for the interview, and I uh, hope you've got enough out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and don't don't make me look bad, like you know. <laughs>